The Grand Thrive Podcast, episode 114, The Starving Artist Myth, with Kirsten Pressler. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey Thriver, Jess here for another week of the Create and Thrive podcast. It's awesome to have you join me once again. I'm still in the UK in my parent-in-law's house, sadly looking out at the window at the grey overcastness. But next week, it's looking like we're going to get some lovely sunny days and we're going to take a journey to Avebury Rings, which I've not been to before, somehow. Even though I've been wanting to see stone circles and I've seen Stonehenge from a distance, the first time I came over here... Uh, you could go up to Stonehenge and park and like it was surrounded by this <laughs> this huge wire fence. So without paying, you could still walk up to the wire fence and like look at it. Um, you couldn't get close to it though. You know, it was still pretty far away. So we did that the first time I was here, thankfully, because these days you can't even do that. You, can, you can't barely even see it. They have a, a car park that's like a few kilometers away from Stonehenge and you have to park there and then get a bus there. So they've done a really good job of making sure you can't see it unless you pay. But Avebury, for some reason, you can just wander on in there. So I'm really looking forward to that, seeing a bit of uh, old history which is what this country is full on and of and what I love about it. And on the weekend, we'll be popping up to Oxford, which is Nick and my favourite place. If we were ever going to live in England, we would be in Oxford for sure. Uh, but that's probably not going to happen because we like the sun. <laughs> so that's my plans for the rest of the week. And we're flying home next week, next weekend. Um, it's Nick's birthday next week too. So we're having some, a party uh, for him to, with all of his UK friends, uh, which is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. What's been happening for you? I hope it's been a good week. I know that uh, if you're in the UK like I am or probably Europe or America and you've got kids, they're about to go on holidays. So good luck with that. <laughs> I hope you still find time to listen to the podcast throughout the, the school holidays. I know it's a hectic time. I hope we have so many members in the Thriver Circle with kids and I, so I hear about that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I hope you're having a great summer or winter, wherever you are. I'm looking forward to getting home and snuggling in front of the fire for the dregs of winter when I arrive. Uh, But for now, I have another interview for you this week, and it is with Kirsten Pressler, who is um, Dutch-German. She lives on the border. And um, we are going to be talking about the myth of the starving artist, So this idea that there's something noble about suffering for your art or the fact that you have to spend a huge amount of time, you know, years or decades sort of uh, learning your art and not making any money out of it before you're allowed to or somehow it's somehow noble to suffer for or not make money for the sake of your creativity or your art. And both Kirsten and I, obviously, me, you know me, uh, are not a fan of this myth. (laughs) And we talk a lot about it in this episode about, you know, how you can start making money right at the beginning, figuring out ways to make money from your art or your artistic or creative skill set, not necessarily just from selling the pieces themselves. So we talk a lot about that and why it's important to value 
your creativity and value your crafts and your art from the very beginning, but always, you know, I think this is a struggle that many of us face possibly forever throughout our entire creative career. We have this idea that it's not worth it in some way or that our stuff isn't good enough. I mean, if you, you know, I really want to draw attention to something that I find utterly ridiculous, and that is the actual official art world. And I'm, I'm totally doing air quotes as I say that. I mean, you look at the sort of money that people pay for art, uh, you know, millions upon millions of dollars for one tiny painting or something like that. And, you know, why are, they, why are people willing to pay that sort of money? It has absolutely nothing to do with the skill of the artist or even in a lot of ways, it has very little to do with the subject matter. It's a social game. You know, it's something that people, uh, they pay this money for this art because it gives them some sort of social standing or it makes them feel like, you know, they've got some important piece of history. So I just want you to recognize that, you know, what we pay for art and craft and design, it has very little to do with the physical value of the item. You know, we talk about, oh, I pay, I paid this much for my materials or I paid, uh, I spent this much time making it. And yeah, you need to do that stuff. But at the end of the day, that really has extremely little to do with what you can charge for your creativity. You know, people can charge $10 for something and the same thing could be sold for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. It all comes down to brand positioning, really, in the end of the day. You know, people pay millions of dollars for a painting, not because of what the painting is, but because of who painted it. Uh, Same with fancy pieces of jewellery. You know, people pay anything, you know, even, gosh, I mean, clothing, bags. (laughs) You know, you can buy a handbag for $5 from Target or you can pay tens of thousands of dollars from, I don't know, Gucci or Louis Vuitton or someone like that. There's really not that much difference. <laughs> There's not that that financial much difference. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with prestige and all of those sorts of things. So the thing to think about is, you know, working on growing your, your skill set, but also your reputation and uh, making something that stands out. So anyway, in this episode, we're going to talk about all of those sorts of things. We're going to talk about making money from your art from the get-go and your creativity working out ways to monetize your skill set and to be proud of your work and realize that there is a value in it and that you need to get that value across to people and be confident in the value of your work. So let's get started with this episode, my interview with Kirsten Pressler. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chess. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited too, especially considering what we're going to be talking about. So thank you for coming on the show and, um, you know, being willing to share your story and talk a bit about what you're passionate about when it comes to working with other makers. And, I, you know, I know you are also a an artist as well as someone who helps other makers. So how long have you, how long have you been an artist? Like, is it something you've always done or is it something you came to in the last few years? Yeah. The weird thing is I always dreamed about making something. It wasn't always in the form of paintings like Mm -hmm. I do now, but it's, it's always been around. And the weird thing was my parents really were shocked when I told them, okay, I'm going to study fine art, but 
actually they really um, helped me to get into the creative stuff. They always did um, painting and, and, and building stuff with us as we were kids. So um, I was really surprised that it surprised them. Um, so yeah, it has always been around and I always dreamed of having my own kind of business, like not working in a firm or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I always knew I need to do that, even though it scared me like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a yeah. scary thing. And so, you know, that you've always been creative and, you know, you started your own, doing your own work, fine arts work. And how did you get into working with other makers as well and artists? So um, I, I come out of a really fortunate family. Like I never had to worry as a kid. We never had this worry about money. Mm-hmm. And, and I always felt secure. And um, not that we were super rich or something, but just there was no worry about it. Like the normal things were just possible. You could go to your sports team. You could um, travel once a year or something. Mm-hmm. It was always possible. So I knew I didn't want to have the struggle. Because I, I don't know, I felt spoiled and I didn't want to leave that behind. <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, I need to figure this out because I really want to do this creative thing and paint and um, create things uh, in whichever shape they come to me. Um, but I also knew, okay, you need to make money because otherwise your lifestyle will be um, pretty different and I wasn't ready to accept that. So I started when I... Just when I got into art school, I also started to um, work on figuring out how I can actually make money with this thing. I wanted to go through my study without going into depth. Mm-hmm. So in the second year, I yeah, I think in the second year it was already, <laughs> I started to um, have a little studio where I, first of all, made my work and sold it and gave credit creative courses mm-hmm. and but on the other hand other people out of my school came to me and were like okay I know you started this as a business so how do you do the bookkeeping how do you <laughs> get a legit business and 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 those kind of things so it really started out of the me figuring out things and then teaching people that were just a few steps behind me mm-hmm. to do the same Ah, yeah, and then I got deeper, <laughs> deeper, and deeper sucked into it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds very familiar. Um, I mean, I started as my stuff as a hobby, and I, I did, you know, I kind of, I was learning about business in the beginning, kind of for fun, and I never, I never really intended to take it full time, but it just that kind of ended up that way. So I love your story that from the beginning you were like, right, I, I want to be an artist, but I also want to make a, a good living, so I have a good, you know, level of lifestyle and I can pay my bills and have a comfortable life and I, I'm not going to be struggling to to make money so that's yes. obviously put you uh stood you in good stead for the future that you started out that way rather than just being sucked into the art world uh and not thinking about the business side of things Yes, but in college, it was really, like in art school, it was really hard for me because um, a lot of teachers found it really weird. Like, <laughs> really? They found it like dirty to, uh, yeah. to uh, be interested into the business side of things. Like if you're, especially in Europe, we have such a high tradition of um, fine art mm-hmm. and you even though all the big names from the past made money with their art 
uh, it's considered dirty somehow. It's mm. it's um, selling out um, those kind of um, feelings. Right. So sometimes I really had doubts about it if it was the right step. But then on the other hand, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be the next Picasso, but <laughs> at least I'm able to fulfill not only my creative passions, but I'm also able to have a family and um, travel every now and then. So yeah. Yeah, yeah that, it was weird. Yeah, weird and, period. <laughs> and there is there is that, and I think those of us who come from more of a crafter background, so we we're not formally trained. You know, we haven't been through the art school experience or the that sort of uh, formal training. I don't know. Like, it seems like that's a really common story. What you just said there—that people who are who have been to art college and you know, it's all about the creativity and the artistic merit but there doesn't really seem to be any talk about about actually how to make a living out of it and even like you said it's it's almost seen as a bad thing to to want to work out how you can actually make a living out of it it's such a strange thing yes it is we even had a uh, we had a um one two years program like like one lesson a week mm -hmm. which is called berufsvorbereitung which means something like um, um, preparing for your work mm -hmm. life. Right. Um, but that was such a superficial thing because it was one hour for two years a week. <laughs> it's, like, it's like nothing. You heard a couple of things come by, which helped um, my fellow students um, that haven't even thought about it yet. Yeah. But for me, it was like a joke because yes you're talking about big bookkeeping but it's so it's just one hour in the whole year so you just get you just notice you need to do bookkeeping but <laughs> you have no idea like one hour you can't teach how to do this stuff in one hour it's just not possible no so yeah no definitely not <laughs> that's crazy like when I am teaching you know my my students and my community when people talk to me about starting a business I'm like for the first few years you're going to be spending maybe 80 or 90% of your time on the other, on the business stuff. Like you're going to be spending a very small amount of your time actually making your art or making your craft because there's such a huge amount of work to do to build a business. Um, and if you're coming at that from the perspective that, oh no, you know, it's all about, you know, all I, I'm just going to be sitting in my studio making art all day. It's going to be a bit of a shock when you come to that point of trying to make a living out of it. Yes, and it, it can be a choice. You don't need to make a living from your art, but then you need to accept that you need to have a job because yes. you need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you need to eat. You need to have a home. You just need to have certain things to survive. So you can make a choice. Mm. You don't need to sell your work, but then you can't be, um, in my opinion at least, and I know a lot of people disagree, you can't be a professional fine artist or a professional in the crafting field then it's a hobby and that's fine mm. like i'm still sewing and that's my hobby but it's not i'm not going to sell my stuff yeah um but yeah you can just keep it then for yourself and your family and friends they can enjoy it but yeah you don't need to sell it but if you want to you need to make a, a real choice it's yeah it's not something to you can do lightheartedly because mm. it's going to be hard it's just not yeah yeah, definitely. When, back when I was in, in high school and I, I had um, a really awesome friend um, that connected me with an older painter mm -hmm. living in the city where I live. And he told me, I'm not going to advise you to go to art school. 
Hmm. You either have to do it, and then nothing matters what I'm saying right now, <laughs> or um, you're not going to do it because that's the smart choice. <laughs> so, um, and now, back then, I was like, eh, what, what should I do with this advice? That's, that's weird. <laughs> but now I understand because it's really hard. It's a choice. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go for it, it's going to be hard. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing is that, you know, that and what we're going to really dive into today is this idea of the starving artist myth that, you know, you if you want to be a successful artist, you've got to go through this really long period of struggle uh, where you're, you know, living hand to mouth, not making any money because you're dedicated to the art <laughs> and that's all that matters. Um, and, and what do you say to that idea? Um, I'm really against it because it's um, it's just not true. Mm. Um, yes, you can decide to be the struggling, starving artist, but um, I think it's possible to actually make a living, even if you start out. And no, you won't be a millionaire from doing what you do, but um, you can at least in the first couple of years make um, as much as you would do when, I don't know, bartending or something. Yeah. And I feel like if you focus on your your creative business and seeing it as a business, you probably be able to make more and, and, and focus more in one thing and grow more than if you would having a ton of other shop, jobs next to it. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't say you should quit your jobs if you're not ready to sustain yourself with yeah. your art. That's not a smart choice. You need to, yes. <laughs> you need to cover that first. But yeah, just the goal to, to stop doing other things is I think a smart choice. And also being open to different revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we get a little bit hooked on the way we're supposed to make money. Okay. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, I guess, you know, from your perspective, you're coming from that fine arts perspective. So talk a little bit more about, you know, the revenue streams people think they're going to or, or think they should be following versus what's actually more realistic and perhaps more profitable. Yes. So, um, especially if you come right from art school, the only way you feel like you're supposed to make um, money is finding a gallery, mm-hmm. having someone represent you, and um, maybe scholarships and prizes you can win, mm-hmm. which are all good things, but they don't happen for everybody right away. Mm. For some people, it really takes years before a gallery is even interested, and for some people, it never might happen. And you really don't want to wait for a gallery to stumble up on you. You just need to take action and then um, they will find you or not, but you're not depending on that. Yeah. So um, those are the classical income streams. But what I see is much more um, working is starting to, um, there are always some local colleges that want um, creatives give courses for children, for elderly, for just adults in in general Mm -hmm. so that's a way to bring in some income it might not be your your hot dream come true or something (laughs) it's like um it's a basic thing you can do Mm -hmm. and you can you learn even from those situations Mm -hmm. like i in the beginning i gave courses to children and i learned so much and they they brought back so much ideas and creativity through their way of working with stuff mm-hmm. so um, that can be something you could um, 
to um, then also being active in the online world. Like I sold pieces via Instagram, even when I had just 200 followers, just yeah. like I don't have a big account. Like now it's around, I think nearly 2K people, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not huge. And yeah. still people enjoyed my work and wanted a special piece for loved ones and reached out to me. So I think you need to just be out there where your possible clients are because the galleries have people that are a little bit more high profile. And most of the time in the beginning, you will have the normal person buy your work, Mm. like a normal household. They want a beautiful piece or, um, yeah, just those people that, or if you're a graphic designer more then maybe, um, the small business instead of like Nike. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, yeah, there's two points I want to pull out of that. One is um, I love the idea of the teaching, like teaching art. So, you you know, you've you've just been through college or whatever, or you've been practicing your art for a long time, but you haven't gotten to the point where you're actually building a business yet. So uh, instead of doing some other job, you can teach art to other people as that job and that's not only is it a way to make money but it's a way to actually learn more about your craft by teaching it which is always a really great thing to do um would you agree with that yes absolutely and um especially as like that's the that's the weird thing as creatives you're so good in our craft like we're so good that we don't recognize that if we teach it to other people, there are actually people that really struggle with doing what we do. Mm, yeah, they don't. Um, they don't have the intuition we have with the materials and those kind of things. So, and that you can teach. You can um, show your passion for it and make others passionate. And that's actually the power we have because we are so passionate about something that we even do it without getting anything back from it. Yeah. We just do it because we love it. And and yeah. I guess some people get stuck in that idea that, oh, I'm, I'm doing this because I love it. I don't uh, – and I see this all the time in the craft world as well. Uh, surely I can't charge that much for it because it was easy for me. Yeah, but like an accountant, they also are trained and it's easy for them. <laughs> like – I love yeah. that. That's a great. That's that's great. That's a great point. Um, so my second point that I wanted to make in relation to that was talking about pricing of especially. Um, so when you you know at the beginning stages of your career, versus you know ten or twenty years down the track, I mean, I'm assuming in the art world, especially, it's quite normal in the beginning to charge quite a low amount for your work because you are unknown you don't have a reputation you don't have you know um people clamoring at the door for your work and then later on in your career charging more or do you think people should be charging you know a higher amount straight from the beginning um i know that uh, in art school they teach us how to price our stuff and it was so high at least it felt like that Mm -hmm. but if you look at it from the the point of um you're learning uh, um your profession for years before you can even start to sell your work Mm -hmm. because you you start if you're a real creative person you start when you're a kid so even even before you might go into professional training or be an adult to focus on professional training on your own you already have years of 
training mm-hmm. and then you even get more professional through the the yeah specific trainings you get later on so you're trained years and you need to be, get paid for that mm-hmm. like if someone learns to make shoes like professionally they you like for handmade shoes you pay a lot of money like, yes because they're handmade it's like a lot of work and then you need to as an artist or creative crafter you need to see okay yes if i crochet whatever it is you crochet um for 10 hours break mm-hmm. down your price and see how much you're actually making each hour you're working on it yes like most of the time it's really shocking yes. you might have prices where you even under the minimum wage of your country (laughs) yeah I think that's that's actually really common yeah no it's not good and so many crafters do that though and especially with those time consuming crafts where it might take you hours to make one piece gosh you just you have to charge for it because otherwise you're just like you said you maybe not even making minimum wage and that's if you're trying to build a business and a livelihood it's just not sustainable Yes, and for my clients, when they have trouble to um, stand behind their prices, mm. make a list. Write down every everything you need to pay each month in your business, like everything, like the little things, like the paper you need to buy, mm-hmm. the materials, um, the power of the building you're in, the um, whatever it is, like your computer, um, your programs, your tools, your online marketing system, whatever it is you're using write it all down and then do the same for your private expenses mm. expenses because a lot a lot of time we look at our business expenses but forget that we actually need to make a living from it <laughs> but you you not just need to finance your business you also need to finance your life yeah. maybe you have a, a dog that that dog really wants to have the food in their bowl so <laughs> you need to make sure that it's going to be in there or you have children they really want to get clothes and everything they need so make sure you know what you need for your personal life as well. And then look at it. How much is it each month? Then break it down into the hours you can realistically work. Because I know we can all say I work 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But then no. life happens. And um, you have children. Like for me, I can't work eight hours a day. That's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. So I need to make the money I need in the five or four hours every day that I know for sure I have. Everything else is a plus, but make sure your weight, your your um, prices reflect that because otherwise you really screw yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and you just it you just keep you keep being behind and you keep struggling and this comes back to that starving artist myth again. And it really comes I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is other people telling you that you and your work is not good enough, but really more so it's you not having the confidence. So you're telling yourself, my work's not good enough. It's not worth this. No one will buy this. And so you just don't ever try to charge what it really needs to be worth. Yes. And and another look of it, some people are really into health these days. <laughs> yeah. um, the stress over money really gets on your health. You will sleep less, you will have more illnesses and those kind of things, which also reduce how much work you can actually do. So it's really, it's something you need to do for your health as well. So if that's something triggering you, make sure you keep, take care of it. (laughs) Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I love, I love also what you said about, you know, thinking about realistically, like thinking about your life, you know, you're not just, you know, you're not selling out, you're not, you're not charging money for something that you should, that you should be giving away for free. You're not charging exorbitant amounts of money for something because you need to, like you said, you need to pay your bills. You need to take care of your family. You need to be, you know, you need to be making enough enough money to live comfortably. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's not, you're not, you know, um, selling out or anything like that by actually making a a good living out of your creativity. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, there are people that make art or um, have a craft business. They make millions. Mm -hmm. But let's be honest. Most of us don't even want that much money. Our Mm -hmm. goals are much more um, normal. Like, yeah. I I, uh, always do the exercise with my um, clients that write down what you actually want and then think back how much money you will need to have in order to make that come true. And for me, it was really eye-opening. I don't need to make a million a year. I don't need it. (laughs) I need to make um, way less in order to really live the life that I dreamed of or still dream of. So, Mm. yeah, make sure you know that amount of money you need, like, the realistic one, not the one you <laughs> have when you win the jackpot or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, and I, 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 I do something similar, and I, I get people to think about two numbers. And the first number, and again, it's like on a yearly basis. So think, think, think big. Think a year, because that's you can kind of get an idea of all your expenses in a year, and think, okay, mm-hmm. in one year, how much money? And this, you actually have to do the maths on this how much money do I actually need to survive and pay all the bills I currently have um, and put a bit away for savings because that's, as far as I'm concerned, vital. You need to be able to save a little bit of money and retirement or whatever else it might be. So what's the absolute minimum that you can make to that that number's going to be? And then go, okay, well, that's the absolute minimum number. What's my ideal number, my my realistic dream number where not only will I do all of those things, but like you said, I can afford to go away on holiday once a year. I can afford to, you know, buy some nice new new clothes or some new stuff for my house. Um, I can afford in a couple of years to buy a, a replacement for my old car that I've had for 10 years, you know, so... Yes. There's those two numbers. And, and you're right. People are actually usually really shocked by what it ends up being. It's actually, it's often quite a bit less than they think it is. Yes. yes. To be. I, I experienced that too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We overestimate it. Like with the little things, we underestimate how much it is. But mm. uh, in the big picture, we really overestimate it how much it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when you look at that, you know, that number over a year and then you break it down literally to the day, like every day, how much money do I need to be making? It's actually, see, it ends up usually for most people being a number they can actually foresee making, which is really lovely. Yes, and you most of the time it's a number you can you can really see in, in front of you. Like if you imagine it, it's it's like, like everybody still can imagine, even if it's a high number for you, but you can still imagine five hundred dollar, eight hundred dollar, a thousand. You can imagine those numbers. Yeah. You can't imagine like a hundred thousand. No. <laughs> At least I, I, I can't imagine like seeing it in front of me like uh No, I can't imagine that. But yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. if I think back, like right back at the beginning, sort of when I started my own businesses, I, I think I had the number of like a hundred dollars a day. Like right, at the mm-hmm. I'm like if I it, when I reach that when I every day I'm making a hundred dollars. Like this is seven days a week, you know. When I reach the point where I'm making a hundred dollars a day, oh, that's going to be so awesome. Like, <laughs> and now I look at it and I go, gosh, that's not very much, is it? <laughs> No, especially if you have to pay taxes and everything. Exactly. So, you know, I had, I also had a, a job at the time, you know, on a full-time job. So this was my hobby business. Um, but it was still a, a goal number that seemed when you're selling like one pair of earrings for $20 every few days, it seemed unrealistic. But then eventually, of course, I hit that. And then over time, vastly surpassed that number. And and so it's it now seems like such a small number, but you know, and that's going to change for everyone. You know, as your business grows and over time, it's going to seem once you start making those bigger amounts of money, it starts to become easier, and it starts to become easier to visualize perhaps making a little bit more if that's something you feel you need or want. But it's also okay if it's not. Like when you reach that that dream goal number, you can just go. Hey man, I've I've arrived. Like I'm successful. I've I've reached that number and that's what I need to be happy and healthy in the life that I want. Yes, and in the beginning, like you sometimes we hear those big numbers and feel like we're supposed to um strive to make them. Start with a mon- number that motivates you. Like mm. yes, it should be um challenging, but it doesn't should you should freak you out. Like if um, $50 a day would make you already pretty happy and it's already scary and you couldn't, you can't believe to actually make that money. Start with that as a goal. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have the goal to make a thousand a day. That's a goal for someone that might be a little bit further uh, on their way mm. or in a different situation. Don't, don't do it too much because in the beginning, I really thought like, okay, my big, scary number that I want to strive to make each year will I will have to ha- make I don't know I didn't I don't know what it was but it was really a big number a week and it scared me and it it was like it, it stopped me from taking action because it was too big yeah so don't let the number stop you from taking action if it's making you stop then take a smaller number yeah because you need to take action that's the most important thing so yeah, yeah, and there's so many things again with that 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 starving artist myth, like that. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. And so people just don't take action. They just they just wait. They try and wait till everything's perfect. And we all know what that. It will never happen. <laughs> exactly. It will never happen. <laughs> yes, it's the same with kids. It will never be perfect. <laughs> No, there's no such thing as perfect. Like I think I, I did a podcast a while, ages ago on this very thing, you know, um, and how dangerous the, the I think it's called the the why perfection is a dangerous illusion because it really is. It's mm-hmm. it's really dangerous to be a perfectionist because it it just means you never start or you never actually make a move because you're so afraid of making a mistake. Well, I I'm here to tell you right now, you will make many mistakes. And that's okay. Yes. And you often feel like a big fraud and you will feel really bad if something goes wrong and you will probably cry once or twice. <laughs> yep. Maybe more often. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's always, I don't know. And even if you got to a certain level of um, 
success and it looks good from the outside, you can still, you, you still have phases where you struggle. Like I know you interviewed Lisa Congdon um, yes. a while ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I heard her talk about um, like, like working herself into burnout. Mm. And that's a struggle. Like yeah. you, you will, you will hit other struggles like if you have success and she's crazy successful in my eyes at mm. least and yeah those kind of things you will always hit the next struggle thing <laughs> yes yeah you, so, it never uh, ends you need to get over it. Yeah. yeah yeah and be confident I think you need to accept that it's going to happen and be confident you can get through it and that things will you know there'll be an up after the down and I do think that gets easier with time and experience because you've, you've been through a couple of those ups and downs. And so you can kind of look back with hindsight and go, okay, well, this is a bit familiar. Like I've, I've been through this before. Maybe not exactly this thing, but I know that I'll get, I have confidence in myself and my business that I'll get through this and continue on. Yes. And you just, what, what helps for me is like surround yourself with um, creative entrepreneurs that, um, walk in similar shoes. Mm -hmm. um, you will never find somebody actually doing the exact same, but someone you can be open about and 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 honest. Like because it's it's so relieving if something isn't going <laughs> right. If you can just say that something isn't going right and um, be with someone that is not going to judge you. Yes, exactly. Someone right. that just listens and maybe has a tip or two. So surround yourself with other creatives and be honest with them. Because then you will get their honesty back too. Because everybody is scared to open up. Yeah, they, they are. And like this is another thing I think, you know, when people when people are artists or creatives or makers, you know, they can find it really difficult to really stand up for what they do. You know, when someone says, what do you do? Yes. <laughs> they can be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, mm, uh, you know, because we're like they, they don't have the confidence to say I'm an artist or I'm a jeweler or whatever it might be. And they kind of, they kind of stumble and, and feel like they need to explain themselves. And then people, they feel like people aren't going to respect them. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think I went through um, various phases of dealing <laughs> with this in the beginning. Actually, I tried to explain myself which at a certain point really made me mad because I feel like uh, a doctor doesn't need to explain himself. Mm. Like, why do I need to explain myself? And then I got to a phase where I was really, oh, not so kind. I said things like, um, you see, I'm, when people ask me, um, can you actually make a living from this? You see, <laughs> I'm still living. Like, right here, <laughs> living. So um, that was a really good phase. Um I love it. Yeah, but sometimes you just need to you just need to let it out. So um, yeah. it's okay if you're in that phase. Like I've been through it. Um and now it's more like um I um kindly switch a bit the subject and talk about all the things I achieve with my business. Mm -hmm. Um and talk really businessy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need to hang out the weird business person. And then people that are not in the creative scene will actually see, oh, this is legit. There's like, whoa, mm -hmm. they actually do business, it's like not just craft. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But you never have to explain yourself. Just if, if you find yourself in a situation, 
um, turn it around and mm -hmm. ask them how they can make a living from their job. <laughs> like, sometimes then you don't have to say anything anymore. And if you do it, a t if you do this for a while, I feel like I don't get asked anymore. Like people, <laughs> somehow I now um, stand confident enough mm. when I talk about my, my, my business and my art um, that they don't ask anymore. Mm. That's really I don't know good. why, but yeah, you just need, I think you need to build up the confidence and sometimes um, you have to be a little bit floppy and weird in your answers. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, they don't ask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and if they do, you just, you know what to say because you've said it so many times and you're confident in what you have to share and what you're doing, um, which is yeah. fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. So another thing for people who, and I know this is also something that a lot of, a lot of creatives struggle with is money. You know, we talked a little bit about that and I highly recommend everybody, even if money's a little bit of an uncomfortable subject to really do those few exercises we mentioned because they're really useful. What are some of the other goals that you recommend people set for themselves? Um, sometimes um, money goals don't motivate you. Right. At least for me, it's sometimes um, I have so high goals that it's just not – I don't know. I'm still bad in visualizing like a hundred thousand on my table right in front of me. Mm. I just can't. So um, I find other focus points. So um, maybe in the beginning, it's hard for you to know how much money you will get out of certain actions you take. Mm. Then just um, set yourself the goal to reach out to um, 50 magazines you want to be in. Mm -hmm. Just to reach out to them and pitch your story. And if you pitch 50 people or you pitch 100 people, you will find a system. You will get strong in your pitch. Maybe the first couple will be denied because um, you're just exercising. So start with the low-hanging fruit, like start with the ones um, that are a bit smaller and not mm -hmm. that high profile. But just pick a number and say, okay, I pitch 50 people. Um, I uh, reach out to, um, I don't know, 20 places, um, to uh, do a certain thing and pick high numbers in that mm. because if you pick higher numbers, if you just write five pitches, you're still in the exercising phase. You don't build a system. Right. But if you pitch 60 people, you need to create a system for your pitches to make it one personal for every single person because you need to be personal and you want to be personal. Mm. Um, but at the other hand, um, find yourself uh, a structure in your pitch. Like um, first I start uh, with why I really enjoy the person and then I talk about, okay, this is what I do uh, want to talk to you about. And then, oh, and this is who I am actually. Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Just build a system and do it a lot and then it gets easier. I love yeah. that. What you just, that that idea of like where you said you do it five times while you're just practicing, but if you do it fifty times, you have to work out how to do it, and that's fantastic. Like, and that goes for anything, you know, product photography, writing description descriptions for your products if you're selling online, yes. going to markets. Like, if you just commit to doing a a lot of it, <laughs> you know, you'll you'll figure it out because you have to because you're yes. you're basically then forcing yourself to. Yes, and then you make yourself ready also to hand it off. Because mm -hmm. in the beginning, when I started to reach out to people and to pitch, I was like, no, I can't give this away to anyone. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. But 
if you develop a system and um, especially for product descriptions and um, uh, yeah, those kind of um, more um, yeah, repetitive repetition things. Yep. Yeah, exactly that word. <laughs> <laughs> I can hand off to someone, maybe a VA. Maybe um, you have a student that comes in and works for you a couple of hours a week and be open to actually add on someone into your team because especially if you need to make things with your hands, you need to, in order to grow, you need to have um, hand off those little tasks. You mm -hmm. don't need to be the one doing them because otherwise you really stuck into a certain amount of money you can make. And if you want to grow and make it a little bit um, less depending on you, you need to add on people. And, and that's a scary thing, but it's a smart thing. And there, the repetition you had in reaching out to people and doing certain tasks will help you to hand things off because you have a system. You know how it's done. Yeah, and, and documenting that system as well, like getting it written down or videoed or whatever it might be so that it is easier to pass that on to somebody else as well is really important. Yes, I love ScreenFlow. Like I'm mm. a big fan of it. I pop it on, on my screen and just let it run. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I talk through it. Like, um, yeah, and, and I have um, now three people on my team and they can run with it. Like they can do those things for me. And especially when things go wrong in my personal life, like I have a little son, he gets sick mm -hmm. and then I can't do things. And I need someone to be able to manage the day to day when those kind of things happen. I don't need one in the studio to make my art, but I need one to manage it. <laughs> yeah. So how how did you go about and or how do you recommend other people go about finding those helpers? Like do you, do you have different people who do different parts of the work for you or, you know, how does that all run? Yes. Um, I've been really, really lucky. Like I, I found – like for me it wasn't a hard process so far. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't made – really bad experiences yet mm -hmm. so um i just went into um okay i need to take a step back i'm a big believer in getting uh, a coach like mm -hmm. i'm i'm a business coach for creatives or a mentor mm -hmm. and um i have one myself that is much more in the business world yeah so um in through her i came into a group of um really driven female mother entrepreneurs and in that group i just posted People, I need a way, I need someone that can um, go through my text because I'm not a native English speaker, as mm. you can hear. So I need someone that goes in and edits my um, written text. And I need someone that is a native speaker and I need someone that is quick and um, good in um, being um, with the deadlines in, in time and those kind of things. Yeah. So I posted it and I interviewed four people and with one I had a click mm. she's in Costa Rica she's awesome she's uh, a Native American uh, speaker so I I can trust her uh, instincts and those kind of things and she's just awesome so I've been really lucky with her mm -hmm. and for the rest I have um, students that live here in the village I'm living in mm -hmm. that come into the studio and help me with um, packaging and um, doing smaller tasks like the post run, like mm -hmm. bringing the stuff to the post office. Yeah. 
um, yeah, I train them in certain things because they need to, they're students, so they don't have any work experience yet. <laughs> so you need to put in some time to train them, but um, they're really um, lovely and I think they appreciate that they don't need to be behind the counter at the McDonald's or something. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's that was my way of going with it. But so far, I didn't have any troubles. Um, I'm working on contract basis with designers that do things for me. And, um, yeah, I found Trello a good way to be like a command central mm-hmm. with all the tasks everybody needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Trello for that as well. It's really useful. For sure. Yeah. Um, I know people talk about there's a lot of other project management like Asana and stuff out there, but I haven't tried any or Slack, but I haven't tried any of them. So I don't, I can't speak for their usefulness, but uh, yeah. Try. I've tried them, mm-hmm. but not Trello. Okay. I need Trello because it's a visual and I can just paste my photos and like I, I'm a big person of writing things on paper, so I can just take a photo and put it with my phone into Trello and everybody sees it on my team and knows what I've drawn out and right. what I want to have as a visual or something. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good idea. That's a really, I didn't think about that. That's cool. Yeah, so having that team and those people and, you know, finding them via networks. Uh, but also I love the fact that you have students. So, you know, people who are um, younger in the industry who I guess they're learning while they're working for you as well. Yes, yes. And and it's, I don't know, I, I found it really easy to work with the students because you can really mold them. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, and they really appreciate it because sometimes I just take the time to, they, they I have online courses. So mm-hmm. everybody on my team is allowed to take every online course they want. I even encourage them to do it because the more they know about what I do, the mm-hmm. better they can help me. So um I help them train if they have questions. I take the time. So sometimes with the younger people, you need to put a little bit more of your time into training them. Mm. But they do awesome stuff. Like I'm surprised at times because they just do something and add something you have never even thought about. Like, (laughs) yeah. So there's, you know, and that's a really good point is that when you do, if you reach that point, because like you said, you come up to a wall and there's only so much one person can do. When you reach that point that you decide you want to bring other people on, not only will it, you know, you have to go through that teething phase where you teach them, but if they're good at what they're doing, not only will they make your life easier, you might actually learn stuff from them and they might have input into your business that will make it better as well. Yes. And I made the experience before I had to take someone on. I went through a big pain phase <laughs> uh, where I, I had my business. I got my son, which reduced my time to work like, I don't know, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> like really a lot. And then I had my husband um, jump in more and more, but he has a full time job. It's not like mm. he's at home or something. Yeah. So there was a point when he got sick where it was clear he can't help me anymore. I can't rely on having him do things because he gets sick because he's doing too much. Yeah. So um, it was a painful um, process actually getting ready to hire someone and I didn't feel ready to hire someone. Mm-hmm. But it was a smart choice. Like, <laughs> it really was a smart choice, but it, it scared me. Yeah, and it was it is scary. Letting go of control is scary and trusting other people is scary. Absolutely. Um so yeah. totally understand that. Um cool. So wow, we've covered a lot in this chat. 
Is there yeah. any is there is there any last little bit of advice or information you'd like to share with everybody listening about creative business? So, um, one my advice is to um, don't give up. Mm. Especially in the beginning, it seems like such a daunting task to start a creative business. But um, figure out what you can do on your own. Figure out what people can help you with in your personal, um, like in your uh, your friends, your family, mm. and then be open to get help. Hire people to do things for you. Hire people to train you. Take courses, and yes, invest in your business because I made the experience. You need to invest in order to grow. So that's my advice. And if you want to join a, a community with a lot of um, awesome creatives, um, then I would love to have you in um, the Sparkling Creative uh, Facebook group. We're also going to come out with a podcast pretty soon. Mm. But yeah. Right now, we just have the group. So, um, yeah, I would love to have you there. Head over to the show notes to find out where Kirsten's website link is and you can go check out her artwork and also um, her offerings for creatives, uh, coaching and etc. So thank you so much, Kirsten, for coming on the show today. It was lovely to talk to you. Um, I, lo- I love your style. I love, you know, your passion for, for business and creativity at the same time. Thank you so much. It was so fun chatting with you. Thanks again to Kirsten for coming on the show and chatting with me about the starving artist myth. I love chatting with her. Now, remember, if you're in the south of England or in the UK or, you know, in France and you fancy a jaunt over here, I don't know, (laughs) make sure to check out our Winchester meetup that is on Wednesday, the 26th of July. It is a free event, but there are very limited spaces. So if you'd want to come along and meet me and meet a whole bunch of other thrivers and ask a question or more than one about your business and help everyone else with their businesses as well. Make sure you get your spot and come along and join us at the meetup. The information is on the Create and Thrive Facebook page. It is the pinned post. So go check it out now. Almost half the spots are gone already. uh, So I would love to fill it up and I would love you to come along and so I can say hello in real life. And it's kind of going to be like a real life Thriver Circle. So I'm looking forward to that. If I'm going to see you there, see you there. If I'm not, I will see you online on the interwebs next week for another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast. I'm just Van Den and goodbye for now.